Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you so much for downloading our podcast. Coming up on this edition of the best bits of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Mina Masood talking Aladdin because he is the brand new Aladdin. Julia Stiles, superstar herself, making us all jealous with her tales of living in the south of France, filming Riviera on the Riviera. Olivia Wilde will be here talking about her new teen comedy film, Book Smart, which is a full-on 10 out of 10 for me. Robbie Williams' songwriting partner, Guy Chambers, will be here tinkering his ivories. And Faye Tozer talks waltzing into the West End and back into the studio for a brand new Steps album, boys and girls. Plus loads more great guests. Enjoy, my friends, enjoy. Not content with being a successful actor and producer, our next guest has masterfully turned her hand to helming feature films. The fantastic coming-of-age story Booksmart is out later this month, and here to tell us all about it, it's the annoyingly talented director, <laughs> Olivia Wilde. Good morning, Olivia. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. I'd like to start every morning here, if that's okay. <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a very um, constructive, uh, addictive uh Thing for us to come to every morning, isn't it? Yeah, I can see It's why. constructive addiction. It's positive addiction. <laughs> uh, not the cinema to your film. Okay, I've seen it. I saw it last night. I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate. But everybody else can see it on the 27th of May. That's right. And, and then forever after that. And people yes. will watch this movie forever. It's one of those kind of films. Uh, tell us about the two main stars, the two oh. main characters in the film. Two main characters played by Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver. And Beanie you might know from Lady Bird. She's incredible. Caitlin's been in lots of movies. Short Term 12, Detroit, Men, Women and Children. Uh, beautiful boy they're both like full on dramatic actresses who are also incredibly funny and they lead this cast of amazing actors and it's just the greatest thing in the world to bring this movie to the screen because people are discovering these actors that I love more than anything right so it's a coming of age film it's the day before they're due to graduate that's right and uh, they suddenly find out that they've had their noses in books for the last four years they forgot to have fun yeah they forgot to have fun well they knew they weren't gonna, they weren't having fun but they thought their sacrifice was worth it however the day before they then find out they discover the names of the, the, the alumni um, of the other universities that their pals or people, fellow pupils, fellow students uh, are going to and have had fun on the way, including Harvard and Princeton and uh, Stanford. They, they said, hang on, but how, well, you can do both. You know, you can have fun and still get your yes. grades. Really? So they tried to make up for, for four years of not partying in one night. And that's the film, isn't it? That's right. It's exactly. awesome. Can they squeeze four years of adventures into one night and to prove their multidimensionality? Yeah. Answer yes. <laughs> And they do. <laughs> they do. They succeed, <laughs> they do. and hilarity ensues, and lots of heartfelt, emotional it's moments so happen. Funny because because you, you lead us down one path, and then you sort of you you, you turn the tables on as, as a viewer of the movie, and you go, ah. Didn't know that was going to happen. Exactly. Didn't know that was going to happen. And the whole idea, too, is kind of judging, learning that we judge people unfairly and 
encouraging the audience to look a little deeper and and just allow for people to be complex and nuanced in the way we all are. But adolescents don't tend to allow for that. And the two main characters, Avassa and Rachel, they're, they're two females, as we've been saying. And um, and it's much easier for one of them to pretend they're in a, a, a gay relationship than trying to explain that they're just friends because the parents don't believe she's, oh, let's, yeah. just, let's just pretend we've, <laughs> we've been at it for years. It's so it's funny. Easier to and they're get. not at all. They're not at all, but they just can't be bothered to try yeah. and explain that they're not. Yeah, because one of them is gay and the other one's not. And so her parents just assume they're a couple and they have to just kind of roll with it or just spend <laughs> a lot of time explaining themselves. So when they say they're going to the library, they're actually going to the library. No, they really are going to the library. <laughs> oh, well, they're going to the library again. <laughs> but, they, but they were going to the library to study for four years to get to Yale, which is what happens. Exactly. Unbelievable. But how do you get something about teenagers so right when you're not one? That's the first thing. Yeah. And second of all, how did you get to me... Um, how did you get across to me, a 53-year-old numpty bloke, right, that we don't need to worry as much about the teenagers as we think. We should maybe uh, allow them to worry a bit more about us because they seem to be across really... a lot more than we've even begun to imagine. They're amazing. I don't think we need to worry about them. They are so much more evolved than we ever were. And I think it's because of the political situation we put them in and because of the internet, of course. They have everything at their fingertips and they use it in kind of an interesting way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I... I tried to just keep the movie honest for this generation. And luckily, the people in the movie are from this generation, so they could tell me, like, Olivia, this thing right here, it's BS. We need to shift it. And I was like, yes, please, make it better. Make it more authentic. Because all those great movies, like Breakfast Club, they they were honest and specific to that generation yeah. and you didn't feel like it was a grown-up telling it's, you what kids believe so believable isn't it because the graduate was before my time sort of as a teenager but yes. yeah, i could still smell it It was still newish when i was a teenager you know and obviously i'm not a teenager now so i'm on the other side of this but you can smell the truth and the honesty of the situation and it's actually an education yes that's what it is because i think what those movies do is they kind of they're sort of anarchistic in a way of showing, like, it's kind of punk rock. The parents aren't involved. Grown-ups don't matter. It's celebrating that time when young people take over control of their yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we do have some grown-ups in the movie doing cameos, which are fun, fun scenes. But I think it's about giving the young people the power and the narrative and letting them control it. Yeah, the grown-ups don't get it. And you're right, I've never noticed this before. In all the great teen coming-of-age movies, the grown-ups don't get it, but it's not their fault. Yes. And, and, and they're never sort of nailed for that. You know, it's okay the grown-ups don't get it. That's their job not to get it. Oh, I see. So my parents don't understand me. I don't understand them. But that's how it should be. And if exactly. it wasn't, if it was any other way, then we'd have an issue. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. Our next guest has produced seven number one albums and sold millions of records around the world. His songs are sung everywhere, from stadiums to karaoke bars. His new album, Go Gentle Into the Light, was recorded in one single four-hour session at Abbey Road Studios on his birthday, no less. Please welcome the perfectly prolific Guy Chambers. Good morning, Guy. Good morning. All uh, right, so so Guy, um, from all the songs you've written, um, you've done you've done a lot for music. Which piece of music has done the most for you? Um, I have to say, Angels. Right. Tell us about you writing Angels. Where was it? When was it? I know the story of Robbie um, being away on holiday um, when it was the last gasp effort of uh, any kind of glimmer of a career that was very quickly fading. And he tells that story himself, so that's true because he's told it to me. Tell us about your take on the writing the song first of all. Uh, well, it was January the eighth, nineteen ninety-seven, and it was our second day of working together. 
and um, I'd woken up with a terrible sinus infection and I was I phoned my mum up and said oh mum I'm going to cancel today I just feel terrible in fact I just want to order a doctor to come in and she said go I've got this feeling that you really shouldn't cancel today just Ooh. just see Rob you must in a kind of witchy kind of way <laughs> and so I didn't cancel and that was the day he walked in singing the I sit and wait does an angel and he's, he had that melody already in his head and I just ran to the piano as he was literally walking through the door singing that and we wrote it in about an hour and um, it was a wonderful experience and we demoed it on a on just on my piano my Yamaha piano in my flat in Archway um, and then he left and he got a cab played it to the cabbie and the cabbie said that's your first number one Robbie <laughs> which sadly it wasn't it went to number four but uh, never mind <laughs> but it saved the day yeah and then and I ordered a doctor in and I did have a massive sinus infection so really? the message from that is if you're feeling really bad you should still go to work crack on with it crack on if you at all can especially yeah. if you th if your mum says she thinks you might have to but she doesn't quite know why right now your mum obviously she you've only been in here 10 minutes you've mentioned her three times now mm -hmm. um She's the reason you're going on tour. Tell us more about that. Well, she wanted me to make a piano album throughout my career, and I always used to put it off. And then when she passed away a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, now I should do it. So I treated myself last year on my birthday, booked Abbey Road Studio One, and uh, had a piano in the middle of this massive room. There's pictures of it inside the, the CD. Um, and, um, and I thought, right, I'm going to do this for her. And because I mean, she was one of those women that you go into a pub, and if there was a piano there, she would insist that I played the piano. You played the piano, and then play, a, you know, a Walt Disney medley, or or um, at age what? Well, from a pretty early age, right? From about ten, because Barlow, Gary Barlow's the same. Yeah, uh, Elder John was the same. Yeah. as well. It's a good training because knowing knowing lots of songs helps you teach how songs teaches you how songs work. Yeah, flying so. hours and all that. Exactly. Uh, so, um. Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie. Did you watch it last year? I did. Last year? What do you think? Uh, I enjoyed it, although I found elements of it annoying. Um, the way they portray the band, I found a bit annoying. But the band had a say in the script. and They yeah. ran the show, didn't they? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, <also laughs> I, I agree with you. But made you, them look a bit kind of do dip dozy and a bit... But they were the exec producers, Brian. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that they took ages finding their Freddy as well. So they, they, were, they had last call on everything. So they must be okay with that. Yes, but I agree with you entirely. Um, have you seen anything, any of the sizzle tape to do with Rocketman, the Elton John film, yet? I have seen the trailer, okay. and I'm very excited to see that. That looks really good. Now, there's a bit in that where he goes to music college. Have you heard about this scene? No. Okay. So Elton, go Elton John goes to music college, and um, and she says, okay, well, his, his the teacher, because he has to go through this sort of um, interview process, uh, you know, is he good enough to get in? And she says, okay, so what uh, piece have you prepared uh, for us this, this morning? And he says, I haven't prepared anything. She says, well, how very dare you? I mean, I haven't seen, I'm paraphrasing here. How very dare you? He says, well, what would you like me to play? She says, well, something like this. And so she, she goes into one of the most complicated um, classical pieces of, of piano that you can imagine. And she plays and she says, something like that. Okay, she says, all right. So, so he steps up to the piano and he's like 15, 16 years old. And he plays exactly what she's played, note for note, perfectly. Uh, same rhythm, same, same meter, same everything but then stops and she says, why did you stop? And he said, because you only got up to there. I don't know what comes next. <laughs> <laughs> could that be true? That could be true. 
It's a wonderful story. <laughs> it's a great I, story. I mean, isn't it? I did an audition for the Guildhall School of Music, so I went through the same process right. that Elton John, and they they didn't they didn't put me on the spot like that. But um, but you know, hey, who knows? I, I love the story. I hope it's true. Before you go, uh, yes. would you give us another bit of something? Yes, I'd love to. I'll play a bit of Angels. Okay. of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. Uh, Dapper Dave, who's our next superstar guest? From inspiring legions of teenage girls in 10 Things I Hate About You to lurking in the shadows with Jason Bourne, our next guest has done it all. Soon to be returning in season two of Sky Atlantic's dangerously sexy Riviera, please go wild for the mesmerising Julia Style. Morning, Julia. Oh, hello. Good morning. Julia, welcome uh, to the show. Thank you. Uh, well done on Riviera. Series one, done and dusted. It's It's been broadcast and it's still out there. It's on demand. I watched... Six episodes yesterday afternoon. You of, did of Riviera se- of season one. Yes, well, yeah, I yeah. couldn't get season two. They haven't given it to me yet, but I right, think I think they will if fast next nicely. week. Next week. Okay, so for people who haven't seen Riviera, you are the main character. You run the show. You are the ringmaster. You're in, I think, almost every scene. Uh, just just recap on, for people who haven't seen it. What, what's going on? It's a it's a show about um, uh, wealthy people in the south of France who uh, are criminal. And yeah. I play an American who is married to a billionaire who ends up dead in the first episode and she's uh, dealing with her grief and discovering that there's fraud in their marriage. And this was all actually filmed in actual Cote d'Azur, actual Riviera, wasn't it? So yes, we do film in France. How yes. long were you there for? Where did you stay? What was it like? Six months. Um, and then we just finished... Uh, season two is about to come out, so uh, so I've I've lived there for what amounts to a year. Um, and it was amazing. It's beautiful. It? Oh, my God. Yes. It's... Uh, it's one. It's a, the title character of the show. Uh, we we film in the, some amazing locations: the beautiful Mediterranean Sea, the villas, the the luxury yachts. It's it's extraordinary. Okay, it's one of it's one of these TV shows which is cinematic in itself, isn't it? And cinema has now in you know in places it has trouble keeping up with telly because telly's become more cinematic. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a big old show. You know, you've worked on some of the biggest films in the world, the Bourne films, etc. When when everybody turns up in town, when the the filming circus. 
Lewis turns up in town. What's the Winnebago and camera and catering count for Riviera compared to a big movie? Is it very similar? You know, that's interesting because actually half of our crew is French. So half of the crew is local and lives in, in, in the area. Right. Um, and also the streets of Nice are not... And we also film in Monaco and we film in Cannes and um, travel a lot. So we don't have giant trucks because you can't fit them in the windy streets of yeah. of the uh, the south of France. Which is why they, when they have the Grand Prix in Monaco, which I'm sure you're very aware of, um, which is one of the most famous Grand Prix in the world, they yes. do have the big Pantechnicans, they do have the motorsport, the team the team lorries. Mm -hmm. And every, in every other circuit in the world, they can park behind the pits, the pit garages. Mm. Well, they can't in Monaco, so they have to park halfway up the mountain. There's a big lorry park halfway mm. up the mountain, which I'm, I, bet it's, I bet that's where your big trucks were. By the way, this is a very glamorous show however i have done my hair and makeup in grip trucks like the we didn't have enough room to put the hair and makeup trailers and my trailer whatever uh up there was a scene where we did uh driving a ferrari up a, a beautiful coastline and yeah. we didn't have any room so sometimes people go to the loo in the woods yeah, and okay. sometimes people you get their hair and makeup done yeah. in uh, a yeah. camera truck uh, so you spent a year away from home on this yeah, particular broken up. six months and six months okay yes. how was that Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What did you miss most? Who did you miss most? Of, of being being yes. away from home? Yes. Oh, what did I miss? Takeaway coffee. Takeaway coffee. Doesn't happen so much in Monaco, does it? In Monaco. They're, you know, the French have a, 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 have a, a lovely pace to <laughs> their lifestyle. They have a different and they, they just take, take their time. Yeah. They like to linger over they're lunch, linger. you know. But takeaway coffee, yeah. if you need a coffee quickly and on the go, it doesn't happen. Well, it can, but it's frowned upon from a great height. It is frowned upon and... and from the uh, top of the highest corniche yes, in the Côte yes. d'Azur. Yes. Fr you're frowned all the way down from up on there. And who wants, who wants to be frowned upon there? In the was it, is it always nice weather in the Côte d'Azur? It is, but you know, the first season we, we were filming into the winter, so we had to pretend like it was summer. And it doesn't get that cold in, in uh, Nice, but some of the places <laughs> that we were filming... By February, it's a, it's a bit I know. chilly. The thing is, it doesn't look cold, and you we have to wear these, you know, yeah. dresses and under, fake unders, tans unders, and under armour or whatever it is, because yeah. uh, our kids wear that for rugby. What's it called? Underlay, 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 underlay. Because on telly, it still looks warm, and yeah. you've got to pretend it is warm, and it's summer, and you're really freezing. It's true. <laughs> and you it's get true. the you get the onshore breeze, which is chilly at that time of the year. It is, and we were sometimes filming in the mountains, which get chillier, but. Um, I can't complain, please. Okay. Um, they've not shown me any of series two. I can't wait until they do, and they will. And by the way, we're, we're sending listeners out to the Riviera to celebrate Riviera I in the competition I next week. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. So that's three guests down and still loads to come. Still to come. Flying into the top of the news tower on his magic carpet, Aladdin himself, Mina Massoud, telling us about the new live action Disney film. Sophie Rundle on the new big BBC Sunday night drama Gentleman Jack Daisy Waterston saying goodbye to the current big drama on the telly on ITV The Durrells and lots lots more but first this She sold millions of records with steps and waltzed away into the 2018 Strictly Come Dancing final now she's cha-cha-chaed into the role of Miss Hedge in the hit musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie Ladies and gentlemen please welcome the phenomenal Faye Toza Good morning Faye Well that's an introduction isn't it Well you're worth it because you're worth it that's what Julia had one as well Julia got one as well because you're both worth it that's why Well good morning Alright so um, I'm trying to explain to Julia um, the, the show that you're in 
win, yes. uh, Faye, but you will do a far better job of this. Now, I know you you love, you appreciate hugely because of your job and your profession, uh, live uh, musical theatre. Absolutely. And, and theatre in general. And here we are uh, in Britain, the home of theatre, uh, thanks to uh, Mr Shakespeare and his pals. Uh, just to explain to the listeners and to Julia simultaneously why this show, everyone's talking about Jamie, has won all these blinking awards and it's booked till about, I don't know, the next millennium. It's booked up to the next millennium. Tell them why. What is this all about? It starts in Sheffield. Go. It's uh, everybody is talking about Jamie. It's about a 16-year-old boy who uh, managed to uh, overcome... All his uh, fears Inhibitions. and yeah, um, and basically went to his school prom wearing a dress because he was determined to be a drag queen. So it's his journey. It's a coming of age uh, uh, performance and play. Um, it's a wonderful story around um, how families deal with that. It's about anti-bullying. It's imp- empowering. It's just, it's really fun and silly. Great songs, incredible songs by Dan Gillespie from mm-hmm. The Feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, quite poppy. But um, yeah, just a feel-good show. It's incredible. Now, if this was written um, less uh, um, uh, sensitively, yes. it could be too virtuous for itself. Yeah. Uh, if, it, if, it was, if it was written too, you know, oversensitively, it could be too virtuous for itself. Yeah. If it, it was, if it was less. Um, less sensitive it would be a, a little bit more uh, it's kind of gritty and it's out there and yeah. it's just saying what it, it is right. and it's so all right. the tough things and yeah and how to deal with it and um, how kids deal with it and how these kids feel like they're strong enough to have their own voice yeah. and it celebrates individuality and yeah. you know uh, and it's not that the kid the male kid the, the male lead yeah, it, yeah is Jamie. gay or not gay it's the fact he wants to be a drag queen he, he's out that's already. the deal he yeah. wants to be a drag queen yeah. it's what he wants to do for a living isn't it yeah and that's the thing. He says, "Gay, yeah, gay, gay. That's yeah, fine. I may well We've be gay, that. but forget that. Yeah, I want to be a drag queen. Yeah, okay. And the school won't allow me to dress. You know, as far as my inspiration, yeah. my, my ambitions guide me. That's right. They they try and and squash uh, his his urge to go and do this because of fear of what other people would think of him. Yeah. And he flies and pushes against that, and all his schoolmates, you know, join in and help him get there. So and yeah, his mum is the hero. <gasps> She's amazing. I mean. You will cry your eyes out in the second act. There's uh, some incredible stuff. It's one of those you, you laugh your head off and cry yeah. your eyes out. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Love that. All right. So Faye's here. Faye Toza is with us along with Julia. When yeah. are you getting back into the studio again? So uh, this year we've got our first big meeting for the uh, album on Tuesday. Right. First time we're all going to be in the room for a while, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to lock down those tracks. We've got some really exciting writers on this next one. I'm not going to reveal it today, but um, really excited about uh, our first track that's going to come right. out. And because you are a more Proficient dancer now than you were, say, let's say six months ago. I mean, I'd like to say I am. Will you be upping the dance, the dance content? Of the I'm whole not sure the rest of them. Yeah, well, forget about it. those guys. <laughs> Have my own little dance. Yeah, spot. you should. Well, we we do quite a lot of dancing as it is, and running around in heels and singing yeah. at the same time. I, know, I mean, we're I no know. spring chickens anymore. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I might shake my booty a little bit more this time. All right, that's good. And um, the strictly uh, competition itself, uh, yeah. on reflection now, where we, it was the week before Christmas, it all finished. Yeah. Um, we were at the semi-finals and my wife and I were very lucky yeah. to go to the semi-finals. Thank you for being so nice to us there. Oh, lovely. And say, coming over to say hello. Um, it's lovely to see you. Looking Fantastic. back now, we are, what are we, th- four months? Four months after the event, four and a half months after the event. Yeah. What are your 
your memories now, almost half a year on? It's a bit of a blur, really. Really? It feels like a long time ago. um, And it was uh, something I'd wanted to do for years and years, been banging on the Strictly door. Mm. And so 10 years later, they offered it to me. I'm absolutely overwhelmed that I got to the final. So thank you to everybody who voted. (laughs) But it was the most, it was probably the hardest uh, job I'd ever done with the pressure that I put on myself, the amount that you had to learn, the pressure of, of waiting for votes to see if people wanted you to carry on through the next week. I mean, it was just wild. It was, yeah, crazy. But it was very important to put that pressure on yourself because, you know, retrospectively, you'd have been disappointed if you hadn't. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have done it any differently and I don't regret a thing. I put absolutely everything into it, my whole soul, and right. I loved it and it was everything I wanted rolled in glitter. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest has grown up as Margot in the hit series The Durrells. It's soon time to say goodbye. As the last ever episode airs this Sunday at 8pm on ITV, here to give us the inside scoop and admit just how much you'll miss filming in Corfu, please welcome the wonderful Daisy Waterstone. Good morning, Daisy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Hop over to this microphone here because it's just been vacated and it's a bit better uh, than the one that you're on. (laughs) Uh, So, Daisy, uh, fourth year of The Durrells. This is it. You know, in the blink of an eye, my dear, in the blink of an eye. Yeah, it's all gone so quickly. I just don't know where these four years have gone. It's just crazy. So the first time you heard uh, the phrase, the Durrells TV show, ITV, perhaps you, was when and from whom and where were you? So I was doing a play at the National. Yep. And uh, only a tiny part, though. Uh-huh. And I got an email from my agent saying, you know, there's an audition for Durrells, go in. And I read the script and I was like, this is just a fantastic script. It's amazing. Like... You know, but I, I was very early on in my career and I was and I'd never done a lead in anything before and I was like, I'm sure it's very unlikely that I'd get it. And then I did, and that was crazy. And I remember like I it was when the show had just finished and it was the the morning after I'd finished the show and I got the call saying I got it and I was so hung over in bed and I just suddenly livened up and it was just the best the best feeling in the world. Now I don't want I don't want to tempt fate and say, you know, uh, you don't want to get the best job of your career uh, as as your first yeah. big job. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like being in the Beatles, I would imagine, and I hope that's not the case. Uh, but it's not a bad place to start, is it? It really isn't, especially playing a character like Margot that is just one in a million. And I'm so lucky that I got to play her out of all people. It's just like she gets to do such amazing things and I had so much fun playing her. And I'm going to miss her so much, but I'm so thankful that I got the chance to do that in my early on in my career. And because it's a period piece, and it, this show will be shown forever, uh, because it's one of the shows that will just... I mean, it's already, it's a classic. Yeah. It's a classic show. It's from a classic book. It's a classic story. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been brilliantly uh, scripted, and it's been brilliantly shot and edited, and it, it's just gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, thank but because you. it's a period piece, it won't, it won't age. No, right. that's getting, so it's yeah. like being in The Simpsons. You're in the real, the real <laughs> life. The you have t-shirt. got a Homer Simpson T-shirt. I yes. mean, that's that's something to look forward to, isn't it? That is. My mum said actually, it's kind of like having her own home movies of me because I'm oh, kind of. Oh, that's a lovely in my, thing to say. I'm kind of like in my, she's kind of got me in my early twenties historically put on screen. So she's that's got so nice. So on, when she's older on her DVD, when I'm older with kids and stuff, <laughs> she can look back on me when I was young, which is quite sweet. So eight o'clock. Uh, Sunday night, ITV, the yes. last episode of the last Durrells. You've you've loved this series, haven't you, Bessie? I really have. I got. I made sure I got ca- all caught up. We watched episode five last night before the football started, and they've really. It's it's really you can tell it's the last series because they're chucking the the kitchen sink at this one. There's there's like there's drone shots everywhere. Yeah. That train that you got on. 
well, last night for me, last Sunday for everyone else. Yeah. My goodness me, there's a they get, they get on a train, a period like 19. 19- it was yeah, it, it was a pro- it was just in the studio. They got one carriage, but I literally felt like I was filming Harry Potter. It was so cool. I was like, I'm on the Hogwarts Express, but they kind of it was very rickety, and like we were there all day, and I felt so sick after. I was literally just like I nearly threw up because I got really like motion sick after it. But that was really cool. I literally felt like I was being Harry Potter, which was really cool. The, you know, the rest of us were going to be watching it with our families on family on Sunday night, eight o'clock. It's the last one. You haven't seen the last episode no, of yet. the show that you have loved and worked on and has loved you right back uh, times 10, if not more, for the last four years. What are you going to do on Sunday night? I'm just going to sit with my family and my boyfriend and have a cry oh. and hold my mum's hand, I think. Um, but, you know, it's it's been a great four years and I've loved every second of it. Well, yes. have a lovely day on Sunday. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, the rest, will you will be WhatsApping the rest of the cast? Or yeah, how does we'll, that work? We'll have a, you Do you know what other people are doing here in the show? How they're going to watch well, it? Where um, they're going to be? Some of them are doing a play, but obviously it's a Sunday, so they won't be. But they'll all be very tired. But very you know, tired. T- tired. Tired. Motion um, sick. <laughs> but we've had we've had a couple of uh, final get-togethers recently. I love a final final. Oh. We've all, yeah, but we've also kind of overdone it a bit. We kind of seem to have them like once every two weeks, and I think it's a bit too. But we'll have another one. No, quick but it's before. good. But it's good to get out yeah. of and you'll never be able to do it again. So no. you can't. Yeah. Over celebrate something that no. you have loved. You're right. You're and the right. temptations go, are we overdoing this a bit? No, because you might never get to do it again. So yeah. go for it. Yeah. Go for it. Have another do this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, Daisy, what's next for you? Next, well, I did this thing for BBC called The Capture that has just wrapped, but I don't know when it's coming out. But uh, apart from that, I'm auditioning and I want a job. All right, good for I'm you. I'm putting it out there. Well, Daisy, you are awesome. The show oh, is brilliant. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a show that is good for everybody. It's good for the people who make it. It's good for the company that commissioned it and it's great for the people who watch it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest has risen through the ranks of Hollywood on his own very own magic carpet. Here to tell us about the whole new world of Disney's live-action reimagining of the classic film Aladdin, please welcome a man that's used his three wishes very wisely. It's Aladdin himself... <laughs> Mina Masood. Thank you very uh, much, thanks, David. Guys. Good thanks. morning, Mina. Congratulations on the movie. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Wednesday yesterday, it was one of the best attended screenings I've been to. You know, industry screenings. In you know, and I've been doing this for years now. I've been doing this for like a hundred years now. I can tell. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> 150, 150. Okay, years. okay. I was exa- my, my showbiz <laughs> age. Okay, maybe a more, maybe two hundred. But it was packed yesterday, and everybody's giggling away and gasping away. Um, you're Aladdin. Guy Ritchie's Aladdin, yours and Guy's Aladdin, yours and Naomi's Aladdin, yours and Will Smith's Aladdin. Uh, how did you get the job? Uh, you know, it was an interesting process. I had um, I had seen the online audition notice like everyone had, and uh, I sent in a tape. We didn't hear anything back for four months, so I kind of thought, all right, it's, uh, it's dead in the water. And uh, four months later, we heard back, and it was... Uh, all of a sudden, things started ramping up, so I flew to London twice to test for it, and uh, then I booked it. Uh, so um, when you were when you were filming, because Long Cross Studios, which are legendary um, in Surrey, uh, you made you did a lot of this uh, soundstage work there, and uh, they put you up not in a hotel and uh, not in a house as, as some um, some actors request or, or are gifted, but in yes. a pub. 
Yeah, yes, in the basement of a pub. No, no. The Star and Garter. I stated the Star and Garter. How was the Star and Garter in Richmond for you? I've been there many, many times. Yeah, it, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> Actually, funny story. Uh, Naomi who plays Jasmine, obviously, uh, was actually the one who found us our apartments in, at the Star and Garter. Right. So I was I was living out of a hotel until she uh, she finally found us an apartment. So I, I have her to thank for the well, Star and she, Garter. By the way, she's excellent in it. Um, Will Smith, you're working with one legend, Guy Ritchie, uh, and, uh, and then you go, oh, there's another one. That's Will Smith <laughs> over here. And he's playing the funniest genie of all time. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a blessing, you know. Uh, it's one thing to play Aladdin. That's that's a dream come true. But then to do it with Guy Ritchie and Will Smith, uh, that's something else entirely. So uh, I couldn't have asked for a better for a better cast. Now you seem very easy with it, and why wouldn't you be? I always think of myself in that situation. I'd just be a mess. I'd be a dithering <laughs> sort of starstruck mess for the whole time. And you've been doing this for ten years, and you're a brilliant actor in your own right because I've seen you at work, and you're very good at your job. Uh, but thank but you, still, thank you. you must you must have to sort of catch your breath. Yeah, again. yeah. The first time the first time I met Will, I was a I was a nervous mess. In fact, I I forgot to introduce myself and tell him who I was. <laughs> So he thought I was just one of the dancers when I went up to him. Uh, and then I had to kind of correct myself and go back and be like, oh, by the way, I'm Mina. I'm, I'm playing Aladdin. Aladdin. <laughs> he was like, oh, Mina, what's up? Yay! And then he hugged me and things. But yeah, I, I was very nervous first time. Uh, and you've got to get on. How, how long were you together? Because it looks like it, this could this film could have taken forever. In the old days, these kind of films took like, you know, a two years, three years to make. How, yeah. long, how long did this take? How long were you with Will Smith for? Um, I was shooting for seven months. I was probably with Will for, you know, a good chunk of that time. Three, four months. So it's a, it was a pro- I mean, that's a long time nowadays for a movie. So. It is. It is. Yeah, that's as long as it takes. I don't think... Uh, I don't think many films take more than six or seven months now, yeah. even if they're massive. You know, like, yeah, yeah, it's it's a good amount of time. And was Will staying at the Star and Garter too? No, no, Will, uh, Will had his own house. Did he? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Now, I, Will had his own Star and Garter. We we rent we rent a house, right? So, but we still ha- we still have the house that we own, but we right. rent a house, and the people. Somebody phones up about about two years ago and said, "Do you want to rent your house out?" I said, "Not really. We're all right, to be honest." But you, don't you don't you rent a house yourself? Yeah, we do, but no, we're because our family's there. Well, you might want to consider this. So I said, um, "Why?" He said, "Well, it's a, it's a good let. It's a good price." And who's the advice? They said, "We can't tell you that. He's he's making a big film around the corner." When did you make the movie? Oh. Oh, he might be the one. We made the movie uh, July of 2017. That'd be it. That'd be it. I Maybe. That, that, it was definitely. Did you Did you go Will to the Smith. house he was staying in? Uh, I did not go, but I could tell. I could describe it to you. Maybe. Go on. Was is it gated? Is your house gated? No, no, no he didn't stay in the end because I didn't say because I didn't say. I did, oh, I said, then no, he might have. Yeah, that might might have been looking. It was Wilson. very nice. House. In my mind, it was definitely Will Smith. Yeah. They were oh, talking definitely. about. Definitely. Yeah, probably. <laughs> hey, just think that. I mean, if it makes you feel better, it I does. <laughs> it does. It does. We 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 the, the world is how we see it. Okay, but here, listen. The, the yeah. next time I come to London and shoot. Yep. Will you rent your house out to me? I don't, I don't, well, of course. Uh, you can have, have, <laughs> I didn't have, know that was very house confident. on the house. Have oh, the house wow. On. Okay. okay. Uh, and, and in many ways, you're, this Aladdin, I, mean, I know there's no sequel to Aladdin, but there could be. 
the way this film is left. You know, in fact, there is there are two sequels to Aladdin, but they went straight to VHS back in the day. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She wowed us in Jamestown, thrilled us in Bodyguard, and captivated us in Peaky Blinders. Very soon, she'll be heading back to 19th century Halifax in the brand new BBC One drama, Gentleman Jack. Please welcome the resplendent English rose, Sophie Rundle. Good morning, Sophie. Hello, good morning. Thank you very much. You said that would be a great introduction. It was. Did he tell you it was going to be a great introduction? He said it was going to be brilliant. Did he? Well, unfortunately, he was right. (laughs) So, Sophie, I watched this last night ahead of the big you-know-what at Anfield at uh, 7.45 in the Champions League. I watched Gentleman Jack episode one. Uh, It's on the sneak preview BBC website, which they they still let me look at. (laughs) Uh, uh, Opening titles, so so it opens, uh, Halifax, 1832. Mm -hmm. And then there's not a car crash, but there's a cart crash, which was very, very exciting. Because who, kno- who knew there was 1832, the, the 1832 version of Road Rage, which obviously, if you think about it, would exist. It's a thing. So there's a cart pile-up. <laughs> and then this, then you get the, the opening titles, which look like something for Sherlock Holmes. I said Sherlock Holmes because I thought that, that case Very is good. like a Sherlock take on Sherlock, which I quite liked. Uh, and then we meet... Um, you and then we meet uh, Mr. Not you, but Anne Walker, your character. Then we meet Mrs. Lister, this sort of femme fatale um, force of nature um, who comes out of nowhere and and really existed. Mm-hmm. She was a real woman. Tell yeah. us, tell us about all that. So it's based on um, <clears throat> this real woman called Anne Lister. Yeah who was, I guess she was sort of the first open lesbian in society. And she was this diarist. She wrote millions of words in her diary and it was all in code. And they were buried and hidden away and they were sort of discovered in the 80s and they've been um, translated. And it's it, this extraordinary story. She lived openly as a lesbian. She was this sort of, she walked around in a top hat and she owned land and... She was fearless and she married a woman and that's who I play. It's funny though, because you say she was fearless, but she was she was fearless in one aspect of her nature, but very fearful and fragile in another. That's very profound and insightful, yeah. But she was though, wasn't she? She was, yeah. She was very, very vulnerable at times. Yeah, which is she... why she portrayed this sort of stronger public personality. Yeah, exactly. And I think that she, you know, she came up against such a lot of stick in her life because she was so different. People didn't know how to, how to cope with her and she's played brilliantly by Saran Jones who is just so good in this she's rock and roll like. she's rock and roll she's yeah. funny she's yeah. serious like I say she's vulnerable yeah, she's, she's cool. sensitive she's, she's sexy she's confused yeah. she's super intelligent yeah, you know yeah, she's yeah. commanding and uh, but, th- but then she's, she's wanting hugely massively wanting yeah and she's I think she's wanting what everyone who's in a straight relationship is allowed to have she wants to legitimise her love and her life choices and that's what she's sort of desperately searching for and she's had all these affairs with women she's travelled but no one has been brave enough to commit to her and then she meets my character and when it starts in episode one it's kind of a you know I think she's sort of really in it for the money she's sort of having a bit of fun and flirting and then they end up falling in love with each other Okay, and your character is very much belittled from the off yes. in the first episode. So, so why is that? Before we get into what happened in Hastings, which I love because <laughs> that line just keeps coming up again and again and again. <laughs> so, tell us about tell us about Anne Walker because she she is almost accidentally inherited like loads and loads of money, loads and loads of land. Yeah, she's like the rich bachelorette in the area, and she's this um, really cripplingly shy young woman, and she's so awkward, and she's just got no friends her own age, and she's got these older relatives, and everyone's kind of trying to exploit her for her money. So she's this really sad little creature and I think she's just desperate for some kind of life or adventure and 
then Anne Lister comes in and sort of blows our world apart. And the, both, the thing they both have in common is they are both surrounded by people yet extraordinarily lonely. Yeah, And exactly. they recognise that within each other. And yeah. that's the connect- therein lies the connection, would you say? I think so, yeah. That's I've right? always thought they're like two, there's two sides of the same coin, really. They both give each other what the other one doesn't have. So it's so I think Anne Walker allows Anne Lister. There's a lot of Anne's in the show. It gets very confusing. Um, there's, a lot, yeah. there's a lot of gangrene as well. <laughs> there's a lot there's going a lot on. Leg, there's a lot of legs being chopped off in the first episode, but it is brilliant. <laughs> uh, where, where, for Halifax 1832, where, where did you shoot it in uh, 20 whenever it was? In Halifax. Oh, did you go to yeah, Halifax? Yeah, okay. we filmed all up around in that sort of area. We filmed in Shibden Hall, which is still there, which you can go to and um, yeah, and we were lucky it was the heat wave last summer. I was so going to ask you because the weather was beautiful. Yeah. It was one shit after another. Thing. I know. No lights required for this. I know. It looks like Tuscany. It, it was, was like, everyone was like, this is not the Yorkshire that we all know. But I yeah. was thinking, when was it? And I thought it must have been last yeah. summer. So Did... I was just boiling all summer. I had like seven layers of petticoats. I was just, it's just basically well, six why episodes did you, of me Why do you have to have the layers underneath when nobody sees them from a props point of view? Is it, cause, is it to the, fill out the skirt then? It's the silhouette. No, is yeah. it, but, but TV people are really clever. Can't they just do that with a wireframe or something like that. I mean, please, if you could speak to all costume <laughs> departments, I'd really appreciate that because my whole career has just been like corsets and like, like your petticoats are literally like duvets. It's like going to work wrapped in your duvet. Gentleman Jack starts Sunday 19th of May, BBC One, 9pm. You can go on online now, on the, I think on, on the iPlayer and see the trailer for it. It's uh, it's very cool again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The way you now have to do drama, you have to have a different take on drama. You have to step up your game, don't you? Yeah, when yeah. you're making drama, when you're writing it, when you're acting in it, everybody's got to be brilliant and everybody in this is brilliant the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio in life you never know what's around the corner unless you're our next guest she's got a pretty good idea please welcome the author of the science of fate why your future is more predictable than you think it's neuroscientist dr hannah critchlow hello hannah hello chris well your book i was supposed to scan it uh, for the show over the weekend i couldn't put it down honestly it was absolutely brilliant um so the gist of the book is what it is that um, there's a huge amount of our lives that are predetermined. The choices that we make, the decisions that make all of our lives unique and turn us into highly individual people. Actually, quite a lot of it might be written or pre-written into our brains before we're born. Okay. And, and maybe that's nice. Maybe that's a nice thing. It's nice and comforting. It's nice and empowering. And the book is trying to tease apart the aspects of our lives that we might have some control over and those things that we should just accept. Uh, So first of all, zero to three years of age, uh, what happens in our brain? Why is it so important, those, those 36 formative months? Well, it's even before that, actually, and there's been some amazing research that's been happening at King's College London. Uh, I went to go and visit visit the labs there recently, and they've developed this new technique that allows us to have a look at how the brain circuitry is being formed in a baby in in the womb at 20 weeks gestation. And you can image their brain as the little circuits are kind of forming at that very early stage and see how similar it is to the mum and the dad. And you can even use that kind of map of the brain circuits to try and predict whether they might be um, predisposed to getting things like schizophrenia, for example, or autism. Can you explain what happens uh, to uh, women's um, uh, physiognomy, um, uh, their biochemistry and their uh, synapse activity um, before uh, they get pregnant, whilst trying to get pregnant, uh, once they've conceived the gestation period and then from the minute they get that they give birth and how their relationship to the rest of the world particularly the partner changes because of nature and we don't need to worry about it once you've explained it 
Okay, so if we just look at heterosexual females, um, then there's been some really neat research that was done quite a while ago, actually, about a decade or two ago, um, that was looking, it was asking a a whole lineup of men to wear a T-shirt. They weren't allowed to eat curry or kind of drink too much beer or smoke uh, cigarettes or anything, do anything that's too kind of smelly. And they weren't allowed to wear deodorant either. But they went around for a few days, did bits of exercise and basically sweated, perspired into the T-shirts. And then the women were asked to basically sniff the T-shirts and then without looking at the men or even getting to know them, have a smell and think which one was the most attractive to them. Based purely on that. Based purely, there was no other information that was given to these females. And then the genes of both the males and the females in the lineup were kind of analysed and revealed. And basically the women were selectively sniffing out their Mr. Wright, the guy that they found most attractive according to the, the smell of him, based on his genetic repertoire for his immune system, for his MHC, major histocompatibility compatibility uh, genes, which are involved in mounting a defence against any viruses that are, uh, might be attacking the body. And basically the woman was swift sniffing out her Mr. Wright based on neuro, um, on diversity of this immune system. So, so thinking about, subconsciously thinking about whether her baby, if she was going to reproduce with him, would have a really strong immune system and so would be more likely to kind of fight off infection as he was a baby and later on in life. How does the book... I've not got to the book yet. So do do all these different fascinating traits, do they all come together? They do. Yeah, yeah. So what do do you tell us in the end? So if you think about uh, the fact that we're kind of pre-wired, predetermined to act in particular ways during our lifespan, during different distinct phases of our lifespan. So I talk about the early years, the adolescent phase, and then what happens in the older mind. That's quite interesting. Um, And I also talk about how our appetite is formed, what we eat, what we do. Um, and how our friendships are formed, what happens in the dad's brain when he has a baby. There's some amazing research that shows that when, this is in mice or rats, when traditionally, (laughs) mice or rats, right, they'll go around and they'll just cannibalistically eat little baby mice and rats. Uh, And then something happens three weeks after they've just had sex. And three weeks is the time period for for gestation, right? For a mouse. For a mouse. Uh, (laughs) Specifically for a mouse. And then suddenly there's some kind of um, switch within his brain so that he'll go from eating all these little babies to to grooming them and kind of nesting with them. Even if they're not his. Even if they're not his. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Anyway, so all of the results come together to say that we are in some ways little machines that are kind of... And it's not, I think this is a nice way of thinking about it, actually. It's quite wonderful. We've got these mesmerizingly beautiful, intricate, sophisticated brains with their 86 billion nerve cells and these 100 trillion connections that process this information that's coming in from the outside world and give rise to these almost inevitable outcomes. But each of us has this very unique individual map in our mind that allows us to do that. And each one of us with our individual cartography of the mind. It's slightly flawed and slightly, we have a a non-accurate view of reality because we're seeing it through the prism of our connectome, it's called. But when you bring everybody's connectomes together and talk with each other about our different views, that's when you get to this accurate idea of the world and that's when you can start making collective decisions that make sense. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.